Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here. And Gavin, there's a little bit of news trickling out on the Donovan Mitchell trade front and some Jalen Brunson stuff to talk about. Reports out there that Quentin Grimes is the one guy the Knicks uh, do not want to include in a trade. They, they obviously heard the podcast I did earlier this week, Alex. And then, uh, yeah, the Knicks uh, could potentially lose a pick, potentially a first round pick for tampering. We will talk about that and so much more right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up, left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you guys making us a part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at strict.land. He's Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And we are talking, what else? A little bit of Nick's rumors. That's all that we have right now. Uh, Gavin, you you brought this to my attention before we were recording. Uh, I thought I had all of the, the possible notes on the Donovan Mitchell saga, but Tony Jones of The Athletic, came in with another nugget here. Uh, Tony says the one player the Knicks are trying to not put in the deal is Quentin Grimes. They don't want Quentin Grimes in the deal under any circumstances. I get the sense the Jazz are very hesitant to do a deal that doesn't have Quentin Grimes in it. And then he also said that the Knicks would be amenable to giving the Jazz Obi Toppin, uh, but Quentin Grimes is a guy that they are less inclined to include in the deal. Uh, Gavin, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like this is a smokescreen on the Knicks part to just sort of pump up the value? Like, I feel like we're just watching a big game of media chess unfold here. And like, considering the source here, I don't, it's, it's very confusing to me because I don't even necessarily know why the jazz would want to put this particular thing out there, but I I don't know. It, It just seems like there's a lot of posturing going back and forth. To me, I feel like Grimes is probably going to be in the deal. And maybe this is maybe this is the Jazz's chance to try to pump him up as like a huge prospect. Uh, I, I don't know. What's your read on this latest rumor here? Yeah, I mean, to your point, obviously the Knicks have all the incentive in the world to uh, have Grimes' value be as high as possible. And, and you want the final result to be as like, fine, we'll give you Grimes, but you're only getting two unprotected first-round picks because he's Quinton Grimes. And I, I don't want to say that like in that tone because as we've been talking about um, ad nausea this offseason, this dude is a very, very good player. And to me, I, I do buy that it's credible that the Jazz think that Grimes is clearly the best prospect of him quickly and topping just because Grimes is fit is so clean and and or maybe not even his fit i mean his fit but also his projection 
is so clean compared to those two where quickly you have questions where you're like, I, I mean, or at least some teams do. Is he really a point guard? Is he ultimately better coming off the bench? With OB, you have questions like, all right, is this dude just going to relentlessly get targeted in a playoff series? Can he play as a, as a rim running four? Like, do you have to find like one of the few centers in the league who can shoot threes and protect the rim on the other end to make him plausible? While Grimes, this, this was um, a quote from, I believe, Mike Borkinov in that great athletic piece where they just drafted all the assets. Um, Grimes' greatest strength is you could throw him into any team on in the league and he will seamlessly fit into that ecosystem. And, and this element of the negotiating, I mean, it reminds me a lot of what happened with the Minnesota Gobert trade where Minnesota said, hey, like obviously we're not giving up Anthony Edwards or Carl Anthony Towns. But beyond that, the one guy we don't want to trade is Jaden McDaniels. And the trade-off for that, like fairly or unfairly, I think we'd say unfairly because it was an absurdly good deal for the Utah Jazz is that the Jazz got a million picks and, and basically every other young prospect of value on the Timberwolves because Minnesota got to keep Jade McDaniels. And the value proposition for the Timberwolves was, hey, if we're making a run at a championship, I'd rather sacrifice a little bit of depth and have this guy who we think is going to be just such a dynamic defender and is going to be able to guard the best wings in the NBA. And you can pair him with Anthony Edwards, you can pair him with Gobert, and we can build this great defense around Cat. And for the Knicks, Alex, I'm curious your take on this. They're, in their mind, the argument against including Grimes, which we've said a million times in this podcast, is he is just the perfect fit next to Donovan Mitchell. And he is the guy you ultimately want to keep in this deal. And in a world where R.J. Barrett's off the table to begin with, it's interesting that he becomes that leverage point. Yeah, it kind of is. Like, I I don't know if we would have ever thought like this time last year that he would potentially be like the centerpiece of a deal. You know, I, I think that he projected to be like, oh, all right, well, this guy's going to be like a good three and D role player or whatever. But I think he did himself a lot of favors in summer league, or I guess maybe did the Knicks a lot of favors in summer league by showing as much as he did there. Because I think now the jazz, you know, now the Knicks can sell us to the jazz. Like, look at this guy that we have that was once a, you know, top 10 high school recruit, you know, all this other stuff has had this playmaking, uh, you know, expertise and whatever earlier in his career, like in high school and, and all that. And like, this is a guy that might be ready to pop here. So, you know, pay up <laughs> because he's got more skills than just being a three and D guy. And, you know, he's going to be a sticking point for us where like, if you want Quentin Grimes, you're going to have to, you know, take less in draft compensation. Cause we need to go try to find another Quentin Grimes kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's intriguing to me in, in that regard. Um, I, I guess we'll see how much, uh, how much hold Grimes has on either side as these negotiations go on. Uh, and, and, you know, I think the final trade package obviously will show us a lot as far as like how valuable is Grimes, you know, overall to the jazz that, you know, how much less are they willing to take? And maybe it'll be sort of an interesting case study, like you said, with McDaniels, where it's like, oh, well, okay, I guess this was how much McDaniels was worth to them, too. Um, but the Knicks would just I, – I could see a world where the Knicks would be willing to include him just to lessen that pick load because I think the Knicks would be looking at this from a perspective of we need to be ready to make another move at some point down the line. I also think that as far as the rest of Tony Jones' report, like saying that Obi is more on the table than Grimes, that – that maybe I could see being a jazz thing where the jazz are trying to put that out there because maybe they're like, well, we kind of prefer topping anyway. So if they're going to pull such a hard line on Grimes, we'll just say that they've been more, you know, 
willing to include Toppet in the deal so that that way we can, you know, put that out into the ether and, and, you know, then the balls in their court to, you know, make it seem like they value Toppin more than Grimes at this point. Cause then if Grimes is the, the guy that they're putting out there that they're least, you know, invested in out of all their young players, then it'd be easier for us to get him. So I don't know. It's, it's a lot of media chess going on right now. Um, I'm interested to see how things shake out and if the Knicks can get away with only giving up one of these guys. I'm also intrigued to see what the next move is if that guy is ultimately topping. Uh, and, you know, because I think that he's the most no-brainer guy that should be sticking around in theory because I think also in theory you want to be moving on from Julius Randle as you're making this Mitchell deal. Like either make Randall part of the deal. We've talked about the possibility before of including the Lakers uh, or, a t- or maybe even Charlotte, you know, as a third team to send Randall to and, you know, send some extra compensation to the jazz to lessen that load on the Knicks. But, you know, I, I think that if that's the plan, which I think it should be because Randall's going to want to be like an offensive engine and you can't bring in a Donovan Mitchell and have a guy on the roster that wants to still be an offensive engine then if you trade Obi in the Mitchell deal as well, and suddenly you're without Obi and Randall, then you got a pretty gaping hole into your power forward spot there that needs to be filled one way or another. And I don't think Quentin Grimes is going to fill that as much as we love Quentin Grimes. So um, it, roster construction-wise, this all is is very interesting as well. And from my perspective, and I'll throw this back to you, Gavin, or, or maybe we could take our first break real quick, and then I'll, I'll I'll pose this question, then we'll take our break, then I'll throw it to you. Yeah, but, build some drama. Exactly. But, like, how does this affect the Knicks if ultimately Toppin becomes the guy that's included because they're so protective over Grimes? And would it be worth it, even if they're slightly higher on Grimes, to just include Grimes for the team-building perspective of it all uh, rather than you know, giving up a guy that even if they are less high on Obi than they are Grimes, which I question that, uh, you know, is that a better deal to just kind of give up the guy you're slightly higher on just to make the team built that much better? Uh, but we'll get to that in just a sec. I just got to remind everybody that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. And if you haven't tried Built Puffs yet, you're really depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There is a new flavor. Are you ready? delicious indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate that's right built has done it again let me introduce you to my new favorite and what will be your new favorite cookie dough chunk puffs they have a light and chewy texture real cookie dough chunks they're delicious and of course they're covered in 100 real chocolate all the joys of eating cookie dough without the hassle of making it plus it's good for you cookie dough chunk puffs are only 160 calories and they have a whopping 15 grams of protein in each bar so run to built.com to snag a box for you and the family. It's the perfect treat, or you can find a really good hiding place and just hoard them all for yourself. I may or may not have done that. My wife doesn't know where the cookie dough chunk uh, puffs are right now because I, I hid them. Uh, like all pill bars, the new cookie dough chunk puff is covered in 100% real chocolate. That means they're healthy and tasty chocolate covered cookie dough. With a light, fluffy texture, they are so good. What's great about Built is that all the bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. So go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15, and you can get 15% off your order. Again, head to Built.com and use code LOCKED15 for 15% off your order. 
All right, and we are continuing our discussion, Gavin. I'll I'll just throw it right to you with the the question that I posed right before the break. There, as far as uh, do you think that it's smart for the Knicks to, even if they're higher on Grimes, or maybe this is all just a play, who knows? But even if they are slightly higher on Grimes, if it basically comes down to Grimes or Toppin, do you think it makes more sense to include Grimes rather than Toppin at this point? Yeah, I. I guess I just don't know what the vision is for next season because are you are you banking on that, all right, Julius is going to figure it out. He's going to be that guy. And also, if you trade Obi, where are you even getting a backup power forward from? Like, I, I think our, our premise this whole time was you could you could flip Julius into a P.J. Washington type of guy, even, even in the worst-case scenario, right? And, and you have Obi as your starter and you have someone who's a solid backup forward. But if you have any aspirations of being good this season – I'm not quite sure unless the Knicks want to give up more future assets where you're finding your backup power forward. And unless it's, unless it's Cam Reddish, but um, I, I can't imagine Tibbs being super comfortable playing a guy who even, even as a small forward is not a particularly great rebounder and certainly lacks for bulk. I think he's somewhere around 218 pounds at six foot eight. Um, personally, I wouldn't hate Cam Reddish at power forward. I think offensively, especially, it's pretty intriguing. And with how long he is on defense, if, if guys just want to go at him, like obviously there are certain matchups where it'd be problematic. But by and large, the types of players who are power forwards in the modern NBA, I don't think would really torture Cam Reddish on, on post-ups or anything like that. But even all that as an aside, uh, we, we've discussed it thoroughly that Randall just does not make a ton of sense next to those Three guys, and and look, I'm if if it's Grimes and they keep Obi, I'm open to trying it for a couple of games and seeing like maybe there's a world where where everything clicks into place and, and Julius just is, is willing to take a step back. But I, I don't know. I feel like it. I feel like a lunatic for saying that again. It's it's what we always say on this podcast: definition of insanity, right? You see the same thing over and over and over again, and, and you just wake up a little bit optimistic that next morning you say it's going to be different this time. Newsflash, it's not it's not going to be different with Julius Randle, right? And Donovan Mitchell being here is not going to soothe that ego over. And even if he's willing to take a backseat to Donovan, is he taking a backseat to RJ? Is he taking a backseat to Brunson? I, I just don't see any world where that works. And, and to your point, where that posturing comes into play, that could be the clearest sign of it because I do think there's some recognition on the Knicks side that that is reality. And to that point, uh, Mark Berman, who is, as we all know, is one of the most uh, sourced in people on the current Knicks front office thinking, last time he was on this podcast, uh, NBA Combine time, like a month and a half ago at this point, time flies, um, he was saying that there was a real recognition on Tom Thibodeau's part and the front office's part um, that Obi Toppin could be the future at the power forward position and that might necessitate Moving on from Julius Randle. We're going to find out real quick if that's true or not. But I, I, I do think this front office is smart. I just can't imagine them seeing everything they see it and saying it's tenable to have Julius start a power forward with those other three guys. Yeah, I can't really see that either. Unless, again, you know, they've managed to talk to Julius and be like, you're going to be like the third or fourth option on this team, you know, on any given night. Like, is that okay? And I really doubt that Julius would take that and just be like, Sure, that's fine, because even this past year, becoming the second option seemed to send him into a tailspin, you know, and, and we saw, again, we bring this up all the time, but like all these games, including that that Bulls game down the stretch where like he just didn't seem like he wanted to be part of what 
the Knicks were doing with the younger players. Um, and then obviously, as you said, too, you know, which Berman relayed, uh, you know, as far as the coaching staff and how they felt like Obi really crushed it down the stretch of the season. And I think the Knicks would be smart to say, like, yes, let's invest in him. Even just as far as backup power forward, I think you bring up a good point where, like, I think that makes it even more stark that you can't include Obi in a deal unless you think that Randall is going to somehow want to play like third or fourth fiddle on this team. Because like if you get rid of both of them, you're really screwed at that position. Like Cam Reddish is not a starting power forward. And I question if he's even a backup for more than like stretches. I think he's a good, you know, he's a, he's a good small ball guy to put out there and just say, okay, you're, you're long. You can switch on to people, stuff like that. But you know, if you're out there against someone who's a little bigger and whatever, and can, execute a post-up or something we're kind of screwed here (laughs) so hopefully that's not something that the Knicks would be wanting to like lean on consistently and instead would just look at as more of a like a a fun wrinkle to throw in which Tibbs doesn't even really do when he has a full strength roster Um, (laughs) which I guess maybe then your only way to do that is to strong arm him into Cam being the only backup power forward but I digress I guess that's just a whole other point Um, but I think as far as a backup, you know, there are some options that could become pretty easily available like during this trade. Even if you don't manage to swing a deal with Charlotte for like a PJ Washington, I think you can get, you know, regardless of how good he is at this stage of his career, like Rudy Gay would easily be a throw in on the yeah. jazz side because what use do they have for Rudy Gay at this point in his career? You might even be able to talk him in, talk them into um, Bojan Bogdanovic. Like I, I, he makes a lot of money which would probably be appealing to them to get off of. And I don't think that he's a negative value contract by any stretch, but, you know, he he's not positive enough that, you know, I think the Jazz would have any power to be like, give us extra for him because he's such a good player. It, it, the Knicks would just be like, you guys are about to go into like the rebuild of rebuilds. Like, do you have someone you can send this guy to and actually get an asset for, or do you want to just dump him here for free? Because we'll take him, we'll actually play him you know, and have a role for him here as like the backup four. Um, So I I guess we would see as far as that goes to it. But I do think there are options for a backup. But I think to get back to the question that I posited to start, I would would hold Obi Toppin out before I would hold Quentin Grimes out of talks. I think that you and I have both kind of come to the conclusion that even though I think we both think his ceiling is probably higher, the guy that I would – be most inclined to include honestly would be quickly because I think that his skill set, you know, or his path to finding a good role on this team becomes so much harder with both Brunson and Mitchell on the team that I don't know that I would be super interested. Like, I, I guess I guess interested is the wrong word, but I wouldn't feel super confident that on a Tibbs coach team that he could find a role that would be satisfactory to him. And to me, as you know, if I'm the GM of the team, someone that's investing in him and and held him out of trade talks because I wanted to have him on the team, you know, I just I don't know that he could find a big enough role to make it worth keeping him out of it, especially if you could give up quickly versus those other two and potentially pay less in picks if the Jazz are also super high on him, Uh, which if I was the Jazz, I would be super high on him. Like if I'm going to have a tank year, and see if I could figure out, you know, who might be the, like, see who could be the diamond in the rough out of all these guys that I get that 
could potentially be a building block going forward. I think quickly is as good of a bet as anybody. I mean, he in some ways has like qualities of like Shea Gilgis Alexander when he got traded from the Clippers to the Thunder, where Shea then took a huge leap after getting traded and being given unlimited reign. You know, whereas on on the Clippers, he was in a little bit more of a limited role because he was on like a team with playoff aspirations and all this stuff, which was sort of what quickly was in the last two years with the Knicks, even if this past year, you know, wasn't uh, as much of a playoff year. But like finally got a chance to show something with the Knicks and really crushed it at the end of this season. You know, if I'm the Jazz, I'm looking at him and saying, like, I think this is a guy that could potentially be worth, you know, investing in and seeing if maybe this is like I don't want to call it a buy low if if he's taking more assets off the table but you know the probably the best star bet out of those three core young players that the Knicks have uh, as far as a guy that could potentially like run your offense and generate his own offense so uh, uh, but we'll see how that whole decision goes Gavin I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the News that the league is opening a tampering investigation on Jalen Brunson when we get back from this second break. But we'll just take our second break and then come right back in. All right. So, Gavin, there's there's more news to talk about here. Uh, and it comes from Chris Haynes of Yahoo. The NBA has begun an investigation into the New York Knicks for alleged tampering regarding free agent pickup Jalen Brunson. Sources told Yahoo Sports. Uh, the league will look into whether the Knicks made contact with Brunson prior to the start of the free agency period. Um, and then there's also, I mean, I don't know, the, a weird, I don't want to call it a report, like fan fiction from John Hollinger at The Athletic about why the Knicks should be penalized a first-round pick. Uh, he, he wrote here, it's why many are interested to see how the league rules on the Knicks recruiting of Jalen Brunson from Dallas where it seems some of those lines might have been crossed, tampering lines, obviously. The issue isn't just a question of guilt or innocence, but one of how harsh any resulting penalty will be uh, or may be. Will the league continue its recent pattern of penalizing teams a second-round pick? Relatively low penalty they can easily write off as cost of doing business. This seems like pretty weak sauce when we're talking about the otherwise free acquisition of star talent. Or does the league want to pursue more draconian enforcement penalties? In 2019, the NBA mooted executive suspensions and fines, first-round draft pick losses, and other harsh remedies, but we've yet to see any of those steps in practice. The league can also void signings in theory and practice the way the free agent market works. This is untenable. Um, so, Gavin, I'm curious your thoughts on all that. I don't know. I, like, I'll get into it in a second, but I'll throw it to you first. <laughs> Tampering happens, right? Yeah. I mean, there's I, I I hate to break it to everyone, but those uh, hundred million dollar deals they're not negotiated in forty five seconds uh, after the official start of free agency. It's because teams and players were talking before, and I think where this, uh, at least to the league, looks particularly egregious was the appearance of Knicks personnel like showing up at that uh, Jazz Mavericks game, and that feels like an overreach probably to some people. I think for a lot of teams, the the unofficial and unspoken word is, is once you're eliminated, those types of talks are okay. While our season is going on, stay away from our players. We saw something very similar when Kawhi Leonard was on the Raptors and, and Clippers personnel were just showing up 
like with astounding frequency. It wasn't a one-time thing. It was like, it felt like the whole season they were just showing up courtside at games and watching him basically saying, Hey buddy, we're, we're keeping track of you. Can't wait for you to come home. Very excited. We're going to trade a million picks for you and Paul George in, in a little bit. Um, and I think that is, again, obviously the Clippers were not penalized the first round pick for that. Uh, but that is where teams draw the line, but it's just incredibly arbitrary. And I, I do sympathize with the league a little bit in terms of enforcement because it is a rule that pretty much everyone ignores and then it becomes very arbitrary when you you go at it aggressively and when you don't but that being said if you you can't just pin it on one team just because this is a public case and obviously Mark Cuban and the Mavericks have made a very big deal about it and on the particular element of, of Brunson talking to his dad it's just it's one of those frustrating things where like this isn't even a basketball thing. It's almost like a human nature thing. Like you really thought there was a world where he wasn't going to go to the Knicks. And if the Knicks were going to hire his dad, he wasn't going to go play for his dad. I guess it's a chicken or, or the egg thing where it's like, all right, did the Knicks only hire his dad because they knew Jalen would come in turn? Sure. Fine. But that was inevitable. And the Mavericks had a chance to give the dude who now looks like a borderline all-star a four-year, $55 million contract, an astoundingly good deal, would have been one of the 10 best contracts in the NBA, and they turned it down. So what are they mad about? They had their shot. They didn't take it. They didn't recognize who Jalen Brunson was, and they're paying for it with a dude who's making $50 million to play for literally his family. Like, tampering or no tampering, this result was inevitable. So... I understand the need to enforce it to some extent and take a second round pick, but a first round pick, it would just be, it would just be so clearly selective punishment. And it would, I guess it would set a new precedent that teams wouldn't do this kind of stuff anymore, but it would, it would just continue to happen anyway. So the whole thing is, is pretty ridiculous in my mind. Yeah. I, and to your point too, even with the contract, like, if the reporting is accurate, which it's come out from multiple reporters that you know are pretty plugged in, the Mavericks even even once they screwed up and didn't get Brunson signed to that better contract, once free agency started, they apparently came in with an offer that look, I'm sure that they too were talking to Brunson's agent prior to the open of free agency, which is probably why Brunson knew right away, like I'm going to the Knicks because like on top of the the family stuff, apparently the Mavericks were offering $2 million more in total value, but one more year on the contract. So they wanted to offer him like, I don't know what that, like five, $6 million yeah. less per season. You know, I mean. 22, was, 22 million a year versus more like 25, 26. 26. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, what's what are we even talking about at that point? You know what I mean? It's like uh, you expect a guy just out of, blind loyalty to your team to accept five million dollars less per year after you've been paying him like like basically veteran minimum for his first four years of his career and on top of it i mean it's like that we have a parallel like this with the knicks right with mitchell robinson where the mavericks also could have declined brunson's option last year and let him hit restricted free agency like they didn't make any huge free agent splashes last year anyway. So they had no reason to not, you know, just be like, all right, well, let's lock up Brunson now. If they felt that good about him, they could have let him hit restricted free agency last year and had a lot more power in the situation. 
rather than how they did it this year, where they picked up his fourth year option as a second round pick and let him become an unrestricted free agent, which then lets him play the market and take a deal that he wants. The other thing, and you know, you said this with like the precedent, I'm like, on top of even the fact that this would look really bad from a league perspective, if they were going to make the Knicks like the poster child of their first first round pick thing here. I mean, first off, I feel like that wouldn't happen to any other team unless it was the Knicks. But then, but also like the league itself has not generally done, done the Knicks the way the media do. So I, I think we're okay there. But the, the, like then precedent of you can't talk to your family members if they happen to be in basketball is just, that's a really slippery slope. Like, I'm sorry, you know, are you going to say then that like if Austin rivers is on a different team that he can't call doc rivers and say hello, or like that they can't like have Thanksgiving dinner together or something. And then how do you enforce that? Seth Curry. Whoa, 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 Alex. They can have dinner together, but Adam Silver has to be there. Right, yeah. Then how do you enforce that Seth Curry is Doc Rivers, you know, brother, or uh, sorry, uh, son-in-law, <laughs> Yeah. you know, and that Austin Rivers and Seth Curry are brother-in-laws, you know? It's like, oh, crap. Well, uh, I guess, you know, we're going to have to send league personnel to Thanksgiving at the Rivers household, you know what I mean? And it's like, it just gets so messy at that point where how do you enforce this then if you're going to say, oh, Leon Rose can't call his son, who is an agent and happens to be Jalen Brunson's agent. Oh, uh, you know, Jalen Brunson can't call his dad, Rick Brunson. Once Rick's been hired by the Knicks officially, because then, you know, that's tampering and like, Oh, <laughs> are you going to then say that like Leon Rose can't even call Jalen Brunson? Like, because they've known each other for like 20 something years. And like, they describe each other like their family. There's, I don't know if there's anything official out there, but there's reports that like, Leon Rose is actually Jalen Brunson's godfather, like, like literally, like, you know, the, the role in his life, not like the, not like the Don, you know, <laughs> but like, you know, it's, it, it just gets so messy then where it's like, okay, you know, they're basically family. So even if Leon Rose wanted to call, like if, if Leon Rose called Carl Anthony Towns, who he also apparently had a really close relationship with, or Chris Paul, you know, to catch up, Chris Paul described Leon Rose, like, I, I was in a media scrum where he described Leon Rose as like a family member to him, someone that he sees on holidays and, you know, like has family dinners with and everything else. Like if he calls one of those guys who happen to be under contract, is that then tampering to just call and say, Hey, how you doing? Like, you know, we, we've had a relationship for a really long time and I'd like to catch up. So like short of the NBA literally having like a wiretap, on Leon Rose's phone and being able to see that he was discussing, you know, contract details. Like, what are we even doing here? We're basically just saying like, you can't be in contact with your family or people that you consider family. It's just, it's so messy at that point. I honestly think, and I mean, look, I, I love from a fan perspective, being able to laugh at other teams. If they do get pinged for tampering, like, you know, Miami lost second round pick over, uh, you know, Kyle Lowry and you want to just like sit there and, and do like a, a Nelson from Simpsons and be like, hey, hey, you lost your pick, you know, like screw you. But like in reality, if you ask me with a gun to my head, the tampering rules are stupid and they shouldn't exist because the NBA, you know, wants to be this like player empowerment league. They want the big soap opera of, you know, constant free agent drama all year round and everything else. Because it keeps the the league in the headlines, even when they're not playing. 
and even when certain teams aren't playing like the Knicks. So it, you can't have your cake and eat it too there. Like either you want this or you don't. And if you don't, then a lot of things would have to change. You would literally have to put like recording devices on every phone of every person that works in an NBA team. And that's just ridiculous. So I, I don't, I think it's stupid. I don't think the Knicks should get dinged. I think they should honestly, with like a slight CBA rework coming up anyway, I think with the new TV deal and all that stuff, they should probably just write tampering out because this is starting to just get stupid at this point. It's like pretend it's just, you know, selectively pretending to care about something that to your point, Gavin happens all the time because like half the deals that happen in the NBA, once free agency starts happen within like an hour of free agency opening. And you know that all those teams and all those players are not coming to all of those agreements over the course of like a couple hours, you know? So it's, it's just ridiculous. And and I hope that, I hope that the NBA sets a precedent the other way this time around and says, you know what? This is really hard to enforce. And we're not even going to go there rather than doing what it seems like uh, people like Hollinger want to happen and saying like, let's push this to the hardest extreme possible and say, here's a first round pick. Like, like we're taking a first round pick from you because then suddenly you're going to have a first round full of 10 teams making picks every year <laughs> because a lot of teams are going to have to get dinged if that's the case. Yeah. I just, I mean, to your point, it's not, it, it, it's not sustainable taking away a first round pick for something like this because it's, it's all going to fall apart. So, and, and also the idea that players don't constantly talk to each other and recruit each other is insanity. I mean, we saw it with, with the Heatles, right? Like that was, that came together at the Olympics two years beforehand. And those three guys were talking about it for two, three years. And then it happened. Like you're going to enforce that too. It's, it's, it's just such a, it's such a slippery slope. And, and to your point, it's such an all or nothing thing. I, I don't really have anything to add. I think, I think you nailed it and we can wrap up there. Yep. So with that, we wrap up this edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Hopefully the Knicks, uh, this tampering investigation proves fruitless. We'll see how it all goes. Uh, luckily, they have, if it becomes a second round pick, at least they have second round picks to spare. Uh, but thank you all for listening. We will be back with probably one more episode this week and uh, more going forward. If you haven't already, check out Gavin's great episode from the other day. Talking about Quentin Grimes, the the Quentin Grimes origin story, as it was called. Uh, so be sure to check that episode out from the other day if you haven't already. But until next time, thank you all for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon. Peace out.